want to say through your word. Because God has a word for the church. And he's shared this word. And today I want to break this down and take a look at what he has to say here. So let's just read through this whole thing right now real quick and uh, see what he says. In, in, in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Phil- in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Man, he is an all-powerful God, amen? amen? He says this, I know your works. Do you know that Jesus is paying attention to you, to me, to us? Do you know that he's paying attention to the church? Amen. He says, I know your works. And this is, he's speaking to this church, but he also would speak this to us. So he says, I know your works. So what does he see? He says, I know your works. And behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I think this is just amazing that this is this church. And he says, hey, I know you don't have any power. I know that you're being oppressed. I know that there's all sorts of evil around you. I know that the temptation is great. I know that the wickedness is there. I know that the other churches are doing stuff that shouldn't be done. I know that they're pressuring you to do the same thing. I know that you're weak in all of this. But you have kept my word. And you have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. You know what? God calls us to patient endurance, amen? amen? They kept their word. They kept his word. They didn't deny his word, even while they were being called to patient endurance, How many of us can say that, you know, again, don't raise hands. How many of us can say the same thing? Isn't isn't impatient endurance when we start to lose our faith? Isn't that when we start to question? Isn't that when we start to compromise? It's when we're being called to patient endurance. These people, he said this, he said, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, again, the opposite of that, I mean, so this is what happens for those who kept my word about patient endurance. What about those then who don't keep his word about patient endurance? Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. Come on, this is good news here, amen? Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has ear. Uh, He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that your word has gone forth. And Lord, we come in Jesus' name. We come in Jesus' name, the name above every other name, the name of Jesus, the only name in which salvation is found. There is no other way. There is no other thing. There is nothing else but Jesus. Jesus, you are the only way. You are the one in whom we find our trust and in our faith. We find salvation in Jesus and in no other way, in no other shape, in no other form will we find that. We thank you, Jesus, for your word today. Let it minister to our hearts. Let it minister to us, Lord, as we open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 
All right. So real quick, last week we talked about, I asked you, what do you pay attention to? Because what you pay attention to, the most attention to, is what has your attention. It's what you see as important. Because you pay attention to what you see as important. And so we see in the scripture here that what Jesus pays attention to is the church. He's paying attention. You look at all seven of these letters. All seven of them are where he's defining and describing what's going on in the church. So Jesus, he pays attention to the church. Do you know why he pays attention to the church? Because the church is important to him. The church is important to him. And so he desires that it would be important to us. He goes on, I talked about this last week, that this is a very important, especially with what I'm going to talk about today. He goes on to describe for us that our king is Jesus, that Jesus Christ is the king of all kings. There is no earthly king. There is no earthly kingdom. There is no other that can compare to Jesus Christ. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. Jesus Christ is the king of the church. It doesn't matter what church, wherever in the world it is. It doesn't matter what kind of government they have in those churches are in those uh, worldly economies or in those uh, countries. It doesn't matter whether it's a republic or a democracy or a dictatorship. In the church, there's one king. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ, and he is king of all kings. So he is an all-powerful God, the king of the church. He is the, verse 7 says, he is the holy one. It says he is the true one, and it says here that he is the one who has the key of David. Amen? He is above every other king. And in the church, the greatest need that we have, the greatest need in the church is not that he would come and meet all of our needs. The greatest need that we as a church have is to serve. Because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to love. He came to serve you and I. And he calls us in the image of Christ that our greatest need would be then to serve. Because what's he watching? He says here, I am know your works. He knows what we're doing. He, and, he, and it's vitally important to him. I know we don't like that works. Work, you know, it's another four-letter word. It's important to him. What did he save us for? If he didn't save us to, uh, to translate us out of here, he saved us to do the work of the church, the work of the kingdom, to do what he's called us to do. So we talked about that last week. You can go back and watch that from, you know, so this will all make a lot more sense to you. And I went into more detail in all those areas. This week, listen, if you're a Christian, if you are a born-again Christian, then you are a member of the church. You're a member of the church. If you're a born-again Christian and you're here, you're a member of this church. And I want you to know this. That Satan hates the church. Satan hates the church. Satan hates the church because the church is people that are the people that are filled that love Jesus. And Satan hates those who love Jesus. He hates those that Jesus loves. That's what Satan does. He hates us. He hates the church. So with that being true, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on, there's a few things that I want to make point of that he describes in this letter to the church at Philadelphia that he wants us to understand so it can help us through this attack, this onslaught, this place where Satan in his hatred towards us will come against us. And one of the things that we have got to realize is this, is that the church in itself, the church is weak. The church is not powerful. The church isn't powerful. Listen, Jesus is the one who's powerful. Jesus is the one who's almighty. Jesus is the one who's saved. Listen, the church has never saved anybody. Jesus saves people to become part of the church, to become part of his body. And so the church is not power. He says here in verse 8, I know that you have but little power. And how many of us have felt that? I mean, come on, it feels like, man, I don't, we look at the world, you watch the news, you watch it, what's going on in our world today, and you, you see what's happening, you look at the economy and what's going on with inflation and all the things that are going on, our politics today is such a, a, a mess. We look at the world, we look at our nation, and we look at this Christian nation, and we look at where we have fallen to morally, where we've fallen to in, in, in sexual sin. And, and honestly, it feels like as you're looking at all of that, I, I was watching the news and I was watching a conservative news channel and one of the commercials came on and it was like, 
this is disgusting. I, I, what, where in the world are and it really does feel at times like man the world literally literally is going to hell and we look at all that and it feels powerless and, and we you know I feel powerless I feel like what can we do I, I can't change it I can't stop it I, I've been you know we can rally people and we can try to bring people together and we can begin to declare war and we can stand up and we can you know we can get depressed we can get excited we can get anxious we can rally we can run for office we can you know we can maybe get people to, to come together for our cause but at the end of the day we come to this place where, you know what? I'm just, I am not in control of it all. And, and, and there comes this place where I feel like, you know what? I, I can't change it. This place where, you know what? We, we could all just come together and everybody was on board and everybody was in the same place and we came together and we all declared war together. Would it really change anything? Listen, he says this, he says, I know that you have but little power. And he's telling us this so that we as a church would understand this. As a church, we have but little power. But praise God, we have a God. We have a king. His name is Jesus. And Jesus Christ, the king, is able to do all things, that nothing is impossible as we trust him and believe in him, as we do. But he's the one with the power. He's the one with the ability. And he wants us to understand this, and I will, I'll explain a little bit more as we go. The second thing that, I, that he talks about in the word here that we have to understand is that the church is, the church always has been, surrounded by, by false believers, by false prophets, by false teachers, by false churches. He, in fact, he says in here in verse 9, he calls them a synagogue of Satan. Look, that is absolutely not politically correct. Jesus just is not politically correct. That, that's not even a nice statement. I mean, how would a church around town feel if, you know, I know they're off straight, but we say, that's a synagogue of Satan. I mean, that's not, that's not tolerant. I, I, know if you, I don't know if you noticed, and I've talked about this a lot. Jesus is not tolerant. Jesus is not politically correct, and nor does he try to be. And there's a lot of times when Jesus just plain out isn't nice. He does not play nice with things that are evil, with things that are wicked. Listen, it's so serious to him. He knows he came to this earth to die for those things. It's not a joke to him, and he calls him a synagogue of Satan. Anytime... I was thinking about it. Anytime Satan's in the title of something, as a church, we should know it's not going to go good. Okay? I mean, how many of you would love to go, you know, to the first church of Satan? Satan Bible Church. No, we, we know that, you know what? This is not going to be good. We don't want to get involved in that. But you know what that church that he speaks to and says, hey, that church, that's a synagogue of Satan. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're an alternative denomination. And we got a bunch of really smart people together and we begun to break down the Greek and we just decided that we're just going to love and we're just going to just, you know, be, be tolerant of everything and we're just going to accept everything and every kind of action. And so we decided that it's okay. And a bunch of these really smart guys got together and decided in this alternative denomination that it's okay. It's all right for you to get naked and sleep with people you're not married to. And it's been confirmed. The guy with the big hat, he said so. And we call those alternative denominations. Jesus calls them synagogues of Satan. He does not mince words. And the truth is, for those who love Jesus, those who love the Word of God, who love uh, following Jesus, who follow the Word of God, you are going to find that you're always going to be surrounded by people who say they love Jesus, people who say they love God, who say they've read through the Bible, but they're living a life in a way that is totally contradicting to what Jesus says. How can fresh water and salt water flow from the same mouth? Look, there's always going to be a temptation for us as a Christian church 
And you are, if you're born again, you are a part of the church. Like it or not, I know it's become popular to say, I hate the church. I love Jesus, but hate the church. But there's always this temptation for the Christian church to compromise because it's more acceptable. To compromise because it's more seeker-friendly. We can compromise because then we can get more people in the chairs. We can, be, we, we can compromise because that'll be good for the, you know, the bottom line. That, that'll fill the offering boxes better. We can compromise because it's more acceptable. Because it's way less offensive. And much more appropriate to the culture that we want to reach. Well, the church is weak. Listen, you don't save people. Jesus saves people. And we don't do it by get, but we don't see people saved by doing it, you know, our way. We do it Jesus' way. Amen. He's the only one that saves. And church, let me say this. You know what? Not only is, is, and hear this, you know, Jesus, if you read the scriptures, you'll find, wow, the gospels are filled with offensive statements that Jesus made. Jesus is offensive. Yes, he is. And so are we. As the body of Christ, we are offensive. And, and again, it's not because I want to be offensive. I don't, I don't get up and, you know, as I'm writing my message, say, now, how can I offend them? <laughs> I, I've never thought that. In fact, the opposite is what I think. I mean, there's times when I'm going, oh, God, that, that, that's offensive. How can, I, how can we reword this, God? You know, and, and so, again, we're offensive. And the reason that we're offensive is, honestly, the reason we're offensive is what we believe by nature is offensive because it is a call to repentance. Yes. It is a call to people's lives that says, you know what, we're wrong, we need, it, I'm wrong, and I need to change. I'm wrong, you're right, God. To, that we need to then start with us in repentance, and then it flows to the people around us. We can't just be sitting back and accepting everything and not calling people to repentance. And that's going to offend people. But we have this temptation. And there's this temptation that's been there since the birth of the church and it's still there today. And there's this place where some of you are tempted to this even now. Some of you may have already fallen for some of that. But we want something different than what we have. What we want is we want a form of, of hyphenated, Christianity light. We, we want a Christianity that's, you know, different. We want a form of Christianity that doesn't, you know, doesn't just keep using the name of Jesus all the time. We want a Christianity that's not so, you know what, like centered on the Bible. We want a Christianity where sin isn't really called out, where sin isn't discussed, where, where I, I, want a, I want a form of Christianity where I don't feel convicted. I don't want to feel bad about the way I'm living. I want a form of Christianity where repentance isn't necessary. And I'll tell you what, that isn't Christianity at all. But that's what we look for. And it's always been there, church. It's always been there. The truth is it's been like that for over 2,000 years. And so he says here, understand, the church is without power and that there have always been, surrounding the church, all around the church, there's always been false believers, false teachers, false churches, those who have gone apostate, that's always been there. And as a result, we have number three, where the church is always under the pressure of denying the word of God and denying the name of Jesus. Always been there, always been a pressure. Jesus says this in verse eight. He says, you kept my word and have not denied my name. You know what that means? That means that there was a pressure for them to deny the word and a pressure for them to deny the name of Jesus. They were under this pressure. Oh, you could talk about God and, and you can talk about a higher power and, and you, can, you can talk about the Lord you can talk about spiritual authority. You can talk about spirituality. But man, the moment you drop the name of Je- the moment you drop the name of Jesus, the way that Jesus wants you to use the name of Jesus, 
Man, all of a sudden, it's on. People are looking at you. Look, you can use the name of Jesus the way the culture wants you to use the name of Jesus. You can profane his name, and nobody says a thing. But man, you start dropping the name of Jesus as Jesus wants you in Jesus' name. All of a sudden, people are like taking a look, and they're like, whoa, whoa, what are you saying? What are you doing using the name of Jesus? I know it becomes a temptation for us to even not want to do that because it does provoke all sorts of things. Man, you drop the name of Jesus and people will start to scatter and scurry and they will come against you. But he says here, you have not denied my name. They kept talking about Jesus. And there's always a pressure to not talk about Jesus. Look, again, for some, I, I understand the pressure. You can talk to your friends about church. You can talk to your friends about coming to church. You can talk to your friends about you believing in God. Becomes a whole nother conversation when you start telling them that you need Jesus in your life. Come to church and meet Jesus. There's always a pressure not to use the name of Jesus, to deny the name of Jesus, or, or to devalue and talk down the name of Jesus. But there's always this place where we don't want to keep the words of Jesus. We, we, listen, Jesus, Jesus in Scripture said some hard stuff. He said some really, I mean, things that were like, wow, that, that, that's difficult. That's hard to grasp. And Jesus says these difficult things, and we look at these difficult things, and they're not culturally acceptable, and they're things that really don't, we don't like. And I don't really care for that kind of thing, Jesus. I don't really care for you talking that way, Jesus. And so what do we do? We say, you know what? I really believe in Jesus and I believe in the Word of God, but those difficult things, I choose not to take that. I choose not to be convicted on that and I choose not to follow that. That's a plan of, that's a plan of Satan. Because Satan hates the church. And Jesus wants you to be aware that these are things that are going to happen. These are things that are going to go on because he knows that Satan hates the church. Satan hates the church that Jesus loves. Satan hates the local church. Satan hates this church. Satan hates that you're here today. Satan hates the church and he'll do everything he can to harm the local church. Listen, our king, we have a king. And our king is Jesus. Undefeated king of all kings. He is God of all. But the church, he wants, our king wants you to know that, that this church, your church, our church, the church is hated. It's hated by, by Satan. But he also wants you to know that the church is desperately loved. That he loves the church. In verse 9, Jesus says this. All of you, listen, this is one of the most amazing statements in Scripture. This should be something because it's a life-changing statement. He says in verse 9, I Come on, some of you aren't listening. Jesus says, I have loved you. Oh, listen, you can love Jesus all you want. I mean, and again, we should. We need to. But our love for Jesus can go in and go out. Depending on what we're going through, our love for Jesus can, can grow stronger and it can grow weaker. But I want you to know that when Jesus loves you, you can know that his love never changes. His love never stops. His love never wanes. His never, it never weakens. He never stops loving you. And with such difference in our life comes when we have this revelation where it's not just that I love him, but I have this revelation that he loves me. He loves me. Because Jesus' love is enough. Jesus says, I have loved you. Do you believe that? Come on, I mean, do you know that? Have you experienced that as a revelation in your life? That not, it's not just me, about me loving Jesus. This is about Jesus loving me. Amen. That will change your life forever. And he does. I'm saying he does. He loves you. Some of you are trying right now, you know, theologically or intellectually, you're trying to break that down and figure out, well, why, how, what? How does that work? Stop it! You're not going to figure out the mind of Jesus. He just loves you. I can't figure it. Listen, I can't figure out why my wife loves me. I married up. And I can't figure out why she loves me. But she chooses to love me. And it's one thing, church, when I, when I hear her say, I love you, or I say to her, I love you, but it's a whole other thing in our relationship. When I experience her love, when I don't deserve it. Yeah. 
changes my life, draws me in deeper than anything that I could ever feel about loving her. Man, when she loves me undeservedly, it does something to our relationship. And Jesus wants that with us. That's why he says, I have loved you. Do you know why the church continues? Do you know why the church even here goes on? Do you know why the doors were open this Sunday? It's not because we're so powerful. And it's not because we're so good. And it's not because we got this figured out. I promise you, there is nothing figured out. It's only by the grace of God that we're here. Listen, we're not so powerful and it's not easy. And there are a lot of things that have come against the church even in this week. It's not the, we're not meeting here today because there's been no resistance for us not to. It's not because there aren't other churches that are, you know, apostate churches that are trying to get false doctrine out there into your hearts and into mine, trying to draw you away, trying to, you know, false believers and denominations that have gone astray. The reason we're here today, the only reason that we're here today is because Jesus loves us. And church, he does. And you can't convince me of anything else. He loves us. Well, how do you know that? Because I've experienced his love and it draws me to him every time. Every time. And you know what? Jesus' love is enough. Jesus' love is enough. Jesus' love is enough to sustain us. Jesus' love is enough to empower us. Jesus' love is enough to encourage us. Jesus' love is enough. That's why in this this statement that he makes in this letter here, he uses things like, he talks about patient endurance. He he uses words like, hey, I, I want you to hold fast. Or another version says, hang in there. He says things in that light, like, like be the one who conquers. Do you know what all those statements are? Those are statements of hope. Those are places where he's just making these statements that we would do that. These are hope-filled language that he's speaking to our life. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I know that life is hard. Yeah, I know that things haven't gone the way you thought they should. I know that you have not had the breakthrough that you've been trying and praying for. I know that things haven't gone the way that you have dreamed or hoped that they might. I know that compromise is out there, and it's right there. I know that sin is at your door, and it is knocking loudly. I know that the critics are real. I know that that there's a war. I know that Satan has waged war against you. I know that. But Jesus wants you to know, but you're going to be okay. And I know we go, how, why, what? How's that supposed to happen, Jesus? And Jesus says it's simple. I love you. And my love is enough. My love is enough. I keep coming back to, and we've talked about this a number of times through these letters in Ephesians where, where Paul, he, he writes, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And it's this language of, of Jesus being uh, the, the groom and the church being his bride. Man, do you know that just Jesus, and that Jesus is like a husband who is completely devoted to his wife. Jesus is a husband that is willing and ready and will lay down his life because he loves his wife so much. He's willing to do whatever it takes to bring comfort and confidence and to save her and to keep her safe because he loves for her so much that he's willing to die for her. He literally will give himself up for her. The church. Look, do you love the church? If you love Jesus then you're going to love what Jesus loved. If you have, again, if Jesus has given you a new heart, a new spirit I will place within you, it says in Ezekiel 11, then you know what? You're going to have a love for the church because Jesus loves the church. So you love the church, right? Look at, that'd be like a dad. As a father, I can't say, you know what? I just love my family. I love my family so much. Family, I love you. I just can't stand you kids. I can't say I love my family, but I hate my kids. I love my family, but I can't stand my kids. There's times when I might not be able to stand them, but I still love them. Look, if you love Jesus, then you're going to love what Jesus loves. 
And, and we like to because sometimes it, it, it becomes a cop-out for us. We like to say, well, you know what? It's, just, it's all about Jesus. And, and again, it's all about Jesus, but it's not only about Jesus. Once we're saved, it's about loving Jesus and loving his bride, loving the church, loving those around us, because that's who Jesus loves. That's where his attentions are. And it kills me when people say, you know what, ah, I love Jesus, but I just don't love the church. No, you don't like the fact that some goofball said something weird to you and you got offended and it hurt your feelings. You know, that's why God says that we need to forgive. Why? Because all of us have been offended by the church. How many of you, that you were born into a family and that family never offended you? No, and the intention isn't that you leave, it's that you work through it. You don't, you don't leave because you're offended. You work through that because you're offended. You forgive. Now you choose to forgive. Well, the church is the same way. Especially if you have a church that's trying, a church that wants to be biblical, a church that wants to be foundational, a church that's doing their best. Look, there's no such thing as a perfect church, just like there's no perfect family. I don't care how good a dad you think you are, how good a mom you think you are, your family, just believe me, your family's not perfect. Because there's no such thing. And let me just tell you, this church isn't perfect. We are a bunch of broken people, a bunch of people that are needy, in need of a Savior. We are weak. He says, I know that you're powerless. Amen. Help us, Lord. That's why we need Jesus. Yeah. And we're all in process. Yeah. Just like in your marriage. Gosh, anybody get married and find, wow, there was no bumpy roads? <laughs> of course there is. And you work through them because you love each other. Listen, that's why we have got to have a love for the church, a love for Jesus, understanding that Jesus loves us so that we can love what Jesus loves, that we can love the church. And, and again, rather than just sit back and criticize. Look, you don't have to criticize this church. I just told you, we're not perfect. We're not. Are we doing everything that we should do? No. Well, why not? Well, because I'm waiting on some of you to get off your pew and do what God's called you to do. Look, let me also say this. I, I don't, because I don't want, I don't want you to, you know, I, I understand how easy it is to get distracted. Everybody's got stuff going on. I mean, you know, today, it's not about how much we have. It's about how busy we are. You know, I just, I don't care how busy we are. I just got to be busier than my neighbor. And, and so in that busyness, it's easy for us to get distracted. And we get distracted. I, and real things. I know, you got a family. You got a job. You got life that's going on. You got kids. You, you got all these things. It's so easy to get distracted. I understand that. God understands that. But this is what I want to ask you to do for each and every one of you, that you would get up every morning and that you would begin to ask the Lord, Good Lord Jesus, help me today. Help me to love what you love. Help me today, Lord, to love the church. Ask him. Because he loves it. He says, I have loved you. And, and then he goes on and, and he says, tells the church that the church has got to listen to the Holy Spirit. He says this over and over and over again. The church, we, you, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look, I love that. It's like he doesn't even use a plural ears. It's like, man, if you got one ear, man, listen. I don't care how hard it is, listen. He says this in all the seven letters to all the seven churches. He says, listen, and, I, and I'm going to tell you how the Holy Spirit speaks to the church. I'm going to tell you right now the way that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. The Holy Spirit, first and foremost, he will speak to you through the scriptures. He will speak to you by the word of God. The scripture says this. It says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in church, if this isn't true, then how can we trust any of it? He says, all scripture. Come on, say that. All scripture. All scripture, All scripture is inspired. It is God breathed. Yes. 
It is God breathed. It's the Holy Spirit. He inspired human writers. He put it on their heart, in their mind. The Holy Spirit inspired human writers that they would, under His inspiration, write the very words of God. He would give us the scriptures through these men that the Holy Spirit was speaking these things through. And all of them are the Word of God. Is there other writings and things that the Holy Spirit anointed? Absolutely, yes, there is. But only the things that are within the pages of your Bible are a scripture. That's what God ordained as scripture, inspired as scripture. He's put it there as scripture. And from one cover to the other, it is the very word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. You want to know what the Holy Spirit says? Then go to the book he wrote and look at what he's saying, what he's telling us. That's the first and foremost way that you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit is by opening up the word of God and hearing the word of God. And that means that you have to study the Bible. You need to memorize memorize the Bible. You need to understand the Bible. You need to learn it. You need to be committed to the Bible. You need to follow the Bible. You need to come under the authority of the Bible. You need to be under the authority of the Scriptures so that you can know what does God say. That you can know what is the heart of my God. What does God say about me? What does God have for me to do? What is it that I have that, that God wants to use? What is it that I, God is asking of me? You will find it all in the Scripture as God opens it up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that just as he inspired men to write it, he will inspire you to hear it. Amen. He's called us to that. Want to hear the Holy Spirit? Then read your scriptures. You want to hear his voice? Read it out loud. Now, other ways he can speak, he can speak to you through the gifts of the Spirit. He can speak to you through the prophetic that God would pour out in those gifts, a prophetic voice that would speak. That he, can, he can give you gifts of the Spirit. He can, he can use conviction in your life to lead you and guide you. He can give you hopes. He can deposit dreams in your life. He can give you visions of what's to come. He can, lay, he can downlay the, the plan of an ark in your mind. Nothing is impossible for him. And he can do that. And he can give you visions for the church. Visions for the, the lives of people around you. Visions for leaders in the church. And the Holy Spirit, this is the way that he'll move you and compel you towards doing something that he wants you to do. Something that he's called you to do. Something that he wants you to start. Something that he wants you to fix. Something that he wants you to answer in the church. Something that he desires for you to be a part of. So that you can make it better rather than just complaining about it. That's the way the Holy Spirit leads. And he'll speak to you that way. But I also want to give you this warning. Because when you have those kinds of inclinations, we have to submit those to spiritual authority. Oh boy. He used the work word and submit word. I don't know if I can handle this sermon, Pastor. Look, we can get a word, we can get a download from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can speak into our lives. And, and sometimes when that happens, we feel like we have a corner on the Holy Spirit. Oh, he's just not speaking to anybody else. He's just not speaking to the leaders. He's just not speaking to the pastor. You know what? If he just heard like I heard, then you'd be pastor. So the Holy Spirit, he doesn't live in just one person. He lives in all those who are born again. He lives in all of us, and he's the same. He's the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's speaking to you is the same Holy Spirit that's living in me. And do you not think that God, in his divine order, is a God who's able to speak to me about what he's speaking to you about, or speak to your life group leader, or speak to somebody in your life as a spiritual authority? You don't think the same Holy Spirit can do that? Where we can, as God says, we can take that idea to, the, to, to spiritual authority. We can take this idea for, for this study or this we want to do, and we can submit it to authority. Where we could ask, is this from the Lord, or is this a good idea, or is this the time for this? And the reason that we don't like to do that is because we're afraid that the spiritual authority will say no. And we live in a culture that just does not accept no. And the moment we say no, I, I've been through this. The moment I say no about something, in a person's eyes, I become unspiritual. Really? Well, who's the one in rebellion? I'll be honest with you. I, I shared this first service, and I'll, I'll share this with you. As, as the church is 
grown, as the church has become more complicated, as things have happened, I, I know that uh, some of the things that I, I do have changed probably in some of your lives, but man, as things have gone on, I have just realized that I need more time with Jesus. I need more time with the Holy Spirit. I, I got to have time where I can begin to work some of the things out that are going on, where I, I can begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, where I can begin to spend some time praying and listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say. I need to have time where I can worship, where I, I need to be able to lead in the church, and therefore I, I need to hear what the leadings of the Holy Spirit are for us. I need to be able to read the scriptures. I, I got to be able to find a place and a time when I can just begin to pray through my thoughts. And, and you know what? I, I know, listen, I, just like in my home, man, I, I hope and pray that my kids are smarter than me. I do. And, and I know that I got some kids that are. But that does not make me father still. And I know that in the church today, there are some of you that are way smarter than I am. Some of you that could go way deeper in different places and different things. And I praise God for that. I want you to be, but I'm still father of the church, Amen. Not, not priest or that kind of thing, but I, I am the shepherd of this house, and, and until God takes that away, you know what, I, I don't care what my kids do, I will always be their dad, Amen. and it doesn't matter what you go on to do, man, I will always be Pastor Mark. Amen. Yeah. God. And, and I love that, but you know what that means is I, I got to spend a lot of time trying to get ready. It takes me a long time to put a message together. And then to do it every week, it takes me more and more time to hear what God has for the church. I, just to spend time repenting. God, forgive me for the thoughts I've had. Forgive me, Lord God. Where is it, Lord, that I need to change? Where is it, Lord, that I need to dig in deeper? Where is it, Lord, that I'm in sin? What is it, Lord God, that you're calling me into repentance over? What is it, God, that you have in direction for the church? What do we need to do? What do we need to improve on? I, I just, I'm telling you that because, I, listen, it makes it so that I can't spend as much time meeting with as many people as I would love to be able to do because I need to spend time doing this. Otherwise, it doesn't get done because I am not that good. Who said amen? <laughs> so, I, I, no, I, I totally understand that. I am not. So I need to spend that time. But I also want you to know that your pastor is spending that time. I'm not setting you up so that I can just say no to everything. No, I want what's best for you and best for the church, and I need to find that out. I also want you to know that you have leaders that in the church that we have been challenging to get up in the morning, and men, women that are doing this, are getting up in the morning and getting on their knees before they get to their phone. People that are praying and asking for God's direction before they turn to Google for it. People that want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying. What's the Holy Spirit leading us in? You have leaders that are doing those things. And you need to be doing that. Getting on your knees first thing in the morning. God, what do you have for me today? Center me in your love. Help me, Lord God, to see your direction. Help me today to be a blessing. Help me today, Lord, to, to do what you want me to do. To be the person that you have called and set me free to be. What do you want me to give? How do you want me to dig in? What scriptures are you looking for me, Lord God, to find out in my heart that I need the depth of that scripture? scripture. And listen, when you start to open up your heart and to ask those things and to press into those things, the Holy Spirit, He is God. He knows all. He works with Jesus. He's in the heart of each and every believer or follower of Christ. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will speak to your heart. But church, in that, that becomes then dangerous. It becomes dangerous if you're not fully and completely submitted to the Word of God. And if you're not completely and totally submitted humbly to the godly leaders in your life. Because, you know, we all think we're smarter than that. But the Holy Spirit, I mean, the, the devil, he can masquerade as the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
He masquerades as an angel of light. He does a perfect imitation of the voice of God. And he only wants to get you off a little bit. If he can get you, listen, if he can get you to a place where you're just a little offended with me, or you're just a little divided from me, or a little divided from somebody in the church, or a little divided from your life group, or a little divided, hey, that's all he wants. Because a little divided today makes you a lot divided tomorrow in the time to come. He wants you to be offended with the church, with the people around you. And so he wants you to be in submission to the scripture and to godly leadership because when you are, the Holy Spirit has freedom to rule and reign in your life and to lead you and direct you and to take you into the places that he has for you. What he wants you to do to motivate you and to bless you, to encourage you and correct you where we can begin to stop and hear, Lord, what is he saying? Where we can stop and listen. And do you know what that means? That means that some of you need to shut the TV off. Even worse. (laughs) Shut the phone off. Put it away. Don't take it into your prayer time. Get a real Bible. I'm telling you, get a real Bible. If you don't have a real Bible, you go invest in yourself. Go invest in what the Lord has for you and go get a real Bible and start reading your real Bible every day rather than reading on your phone, rather than... Listen, you're just going to continually be distracted. There's a huge difference. Go get a Bible and shut your computer off. Shut out the noise and listen. He who has ear, let him hear. Simply what that means is listen. Listen. Because God always has opportunity for the church to join God in what he's doing. And I'm going to finish with this because this is an amazing thing that was going on at the church in Philadelphia. God had opened the door of opportunity for the church in Philadelphia. This little church, this amazing church that was under tremendous oppression, that was under tremendous amount of struggle, just like all the other churches in Revelation were. They had the same kind of oppression, the same kind of false doctrines around them, the same kind of cultural influence, the same kind of demon worship, idol worship. And he says this. He says to that church, I have set before you I have set this out in front of you. I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. A door that God opens is a door that only God can open. And a door that's shut is a door that no man can open. And when there's a shut door, you won't get in. But when God opens a door, he calls us to it. I have opened a door that no one can shut. That door is a door of opportunity. That door is the door that stands. It's hinged between the culture and the kingdom. The kingdom that he talks about in this scripture here. This kingdom of God that Jesus is creating. He's talking about the new Jerusalem that will be brought down at the end of time at the end of the ages to all of us as believers that we would come and be a part of that city forever and ever in the new creation. And between that kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, between that kingdom of God and the culture of this world, there's a door. There's a door that's been there since the door was shut when Adam sinned in the garden and the door between heaven and earth was shut. And now there's a door, a door that's been opened up. And through that door, God has called people. There's an open door before you, and God is calling people through that door to meet Jesus and to come unto eternal life, to become citizens of a heavenly, a heavenly city. And then he's called us from that city that we would go through that door and that we would land on the mission that God has called us to, that we would in this world be ambassadors for that kingdom. Listen, God has called you and I as ambassadors to go through that door and to find out who the king of all kings is, to find out what this kingdom has, to find out what's going on in this kingdom, and then to go back through that door as an ambassador. God, listen, church, as a church, God has called us to represent God on earth, not to represent earth to God. And so he calls us as an ambassador that we would go through that door and that we would go out and we would preach the gospel and that we would proclaim the goodness of the scripture, that we would make disciples, that we would plant churches. God's desire is that we would do that. And it's a door that's been opened up by Jesus and only Jesus can open that door and only Jesus can close that door. And he says to the church of Philadelphia, I've opened a door for you, a door that no one will be able to shut. 
Now, the church in Philadelphia, it's it's in modern-day Turkey. That's where this is. The original church, not much left of the church at all. There's nothing but some ruins. You can find some pictures of it. If you search for it, you'll find some ruins. And even the ruins are hard to find because they built a mosque in front of it to cover all of it up. But there's one reason that there's not much left, and that's because the area was ravaged by devastating earthquakes over the years. Year after year, there would be these earthquakes, and these earthquakes would shake the church, and it would drop. And there were volcanoes, and there was all sorts of eruptions, and the city was destroyed multiple times. The church was destroyed. But back in that day, this was a big church. This was a large church. Lots of people there, lots of people that were gathering, lots of people. It was a real place, and Jesus speaks to this real place, this real church, and he's got no criticism just simply an encouragement that he brings. So why? What about this church that made it so encouraging? And I found out as I was researching some of this that the church at Philadelphia was a church planting church. This church was planting churches. They were sending out missionaries all over the place. They were sending missionaries out to be church planters. They were, they were I read, historians believe that they were the church that was actually sending out missionaries, and they sent missionaries and planted churches even into India. And they say that some of the first churches in all of India came out of the church at Philadelphia. That's what this church was doing. Now, if you go there today, you're not going to find much. You're not going to find many believers. In fact, it's the most unchurched nation in the world. Praise God. We got our brother Paul is going to be headed there in a couple of months. He's going to Turkey, and he is going to go share the gospel, and he's on a missions trip to go do what God's called him to do in that place. But it is, what, it is the most unchurched nation in the world. But you look back, and again, it's been the most, and since like 19, I think it was 1947, that the last of the really remnant of Christians left. But back historically, the church in Philadelphia was an amazing church. Now, again, just real quickly, John wrote this letter through Jesus, wrote this letter through John to the church, and it was written in, in AD 100. And he tells the church, listen, I know that you're weak, and I know that there's, there's, there, you're not powerful and that there's a lot of oppression around you. I know that there's a lot of evil, a lot of wickedness, a lot of believers and te- teachers and, and churches that are occultic. All these things are around you. But I also know that you really do love me and I really do love you. And, and that church in Philadelphia took the encouragement of knowing that Jesus loved them And do you know how long the church that was there, how long the church lasted, how long the church lived that was there after generation after generation? The church there in Philadelphia lasted for over 1,200 years. 1,200 years. That is the power of knowing that Jesus says to us, I love you. It's the encouragement of knowing that. 1,200 years Christians stayed in Philadelphia. Earthquakes would hit, the church would be just completely destroyed, and the people of the church would come back and they'd rebuild it. And then it was destroyed again, and they'd come back and they would rebuild it. It would be destroyed again, and then they'd come back. For 1,200 years, they were rebuilding this church. They were sending missionaries out to plant churches for 1,200 years. They were being faithful to Jesus for 1,200 years. They were being faithful to the Word for 1,200 years. And church, that is the vision that God has for the church. Look, I don't care what vision we say we have or what vision we have that we think is the vision that God would have for our church. Listen, the vision that He has for the church is that Jesus would love you and that you would choose to love Him and serve Him and, and love the church. And that your children would come to know that Jesus would love your children. And your children would love Jesus and follow him and love the church. And that your grandchildren, that Jesus would love them. And that they would choose to follow Jesus, that they would love Jesus and that they would love the church. And generation after generation after generation, that's God's will for the church. That's God's vision for the church. And listen, the church... For 1,200 years, 1,200 years from now, our nation is 250 years old. 1,200 years from now, should the Lord tarry, 1,200 years from now, it's possible. Listen, if the church today could get a vision beyond the weekend, if we could get a vision that was bigger than just ourselves, 
Should God tarry, and by the grace of God, 1,200 years from now, there could be a new life that's still doing what God has called us to do. Still going, still. Our children and children's children and children's 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 children could still be receiving the love of God, loving Jesus, and loving the church. But that starts with the matriarchs. That starts with the patriarchs. It starts with you, with us, as men and women, as leaders in our home, Jesus, saying, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves us. Teaching our children how to receive the love in our life and telling them that this is our church. This is the place that's filled with those that God has called us to. This is the place that I love. And I'm going to raise my children to love Jesus and to be loved by Jesus and to love the church because they're serving the church because that's who Jesus loves. And we're going to see that going on from generation to generation because what you do is what your kids will do. So 1,200 years. Then what happens is Muhammad comes along. Muhammad comes along in about AD 700. And Islam is founded. And that Christianity, listen, Christianity is a religion of invitation. Okay, Christianity invites us. Islam, it, it is a, a, it's a religion of imposition. They, they impose that on you. You either believe and receive or you will die. And all of a sudden, over the years and over the centuries, there was this war that had been waged against, mainly against the lives of Christians. And the idea was that Islam would either convert them or kill them by the sword. And much of this going on in what is modern-day Turkey. Do you know what the final, the last city, to be, church to be destroyed was? church in Philadelphia. The church in Philadelphia was the last one. And what it took was in, in, in 1342, Turkish Muslims showed up at the church, came into a church service. All the other cities had fallen. All the other churches had been shut down. All the other churches had given up. All the other Christians had fled. All the other Christians had been brutally murdered and martyred. And the last place in Turkey was the church in Philadelphia. And it was because they refused to compromise. They refused to tolerate. They refused to deny the name of Jesus. He says, you have not denied my name. And here they were, 1,200 years later, the church in Philadelphia, by the grace of God, did not deny the name of Jesus. And they died. They were slaughtered. Muslims came in in 1342 into a church service and they slaughtered the church. There's a couple things with that. First off, you know, if somebody came into the church and slaughtered the church, it really wouldn't destroy the whole church because there really isn't a weekend that the whole church is here. They came into the church and the whole church was there and they slaughtered the, the men, the women, the young, the old, children. They slaughtered them all. They put them all to death by the sword. They shut down the church in Philadelphia and the only way they could shut down the church in Philadelphia was to murder all the people in the church at Philadelphia. You have not denied my name. Amen. This is an amazing church. Worship team, come on back up. Let me also say this. This is an amazing church. Amen. This is an amazing church because this is a church that Jesus loves. He loves you. He loves us. He loves this church. And this is an amazing church because this church is loved. This church is encouraging. This church is encouraged. This church is spirit-filled. This church is spirit-led. This is a church that Jesus loves because Jesus loves the church. That means Jesus loves this church. He loves you. But there are some who will think, you know what? Uh, somebody else will take care of the church. Somebody else will keep it faithful. Somebody else will keep it biblical. Somebody else will serve. Somebody else will give. Somebody else will to, you know, lead the life group. Somebody else will care for the people. 
Me, I'm just content. I'm just going to be a consumer and not a contributor. I'm okay with just taking and not giving. I can criticize and not help. Church, you can't tell me, just as an example, you cannot say, Pastor Mark, you know what? I, I, I love you, Pastor Mark. But man, I hate your wife. You can't say that. You, you know what? You can tell me you love me, you love me, love me, but you hate my wife. And you know what? That, I'm sorry, but we're going to break fellowship because I am one with my wife. We are one. We are united. And if you love me, you love my wife. If you love me, you care for my wife. If you love me, you accept my wife because we are one. We are one flesh. And church, Jesus is the groom. We are the bride. And if you love him, you love his wife. And the reality of that is that Jesus is faithful. He is a groom. He is always faithful. The question I want to leave you with today is will the bride, will us people, will the church be faithful to him? Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God, for the grace you give. We thank you, Lord God, for what you do. We thank you for the plans you have. Plans, Lord God, to prosper us and to take us into new things. And Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you. And Lord, I thank you for the new lives. I thank you for those who called on the name of Jesus, even during worship and gave their heart to Christ. But I pray in the name of Jesus that you will continue to draw those who are apart from you to yourself. Oh, Lord, that they would first and foremost be loved by you and that they would be given them the opportunity to love that which you love, to love the church, to bring their gifts to the church, to serve the church. And I thank you for that. And God, for those who are apart from you today, Lord, let them come to Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. You are the door. And today, Lord, I know that there stands a door that's been opened before us. And I pray that any who are apart from you today, that they would come unto you, that they would receive you into their heart and into their lives, that they would know that you truly are king of, their, of all kings in their life and Lord of all lords in their life. Lord, let us remain faithful to you. That, Lord, we would not deny the name of Jesus. And should you tarry, generations to come would see the faithfulness and would continue in that faithfulness. The church, it, it only takes one generation that, in that place of unfaithfulness. Could we see the door of opportunity closed? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you.
Go be the church of the living God. God bless you. Have a beautiful day. Don't forget, find a life group. Get yourself plugged in. All things work together for my